How much will tomorrow's 4th of July speech by the president be my country tis of me? The lead starts right now. A sight you don't see every day in the nation's capital. Tanks and armored vehicles lining the National Mall as President Trump incorrectly touts just how easy and cheap it is to pull off his big 4th of July extravaganza. And the cost is not the only concern. Then, donors are showing Joe Biden the money and lots of it, but one Democratic candidate you might not expect has a bigger haul than the former vice president. That politician joins us this hour. Plus, the heartbreaking artwork from migrant children taken out of customs and border protection custody. Black and white images showing people being held behind bars. Now the government's own watchdog calls the situation at the border a, quote, ticking time bomb. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with our politics lead and growing fallout over President Trump's July 4th extravaganza, what the commander-in-chief called today the show of a lifetime. A source telling CNN that some military leaders are expressing concerns about the politicization of the event, which will feature American military hardware, including tanks, bombers, and elite vehicles for all the world to see. The Pentagon says that some members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other top military officials will not be in attendance, citing prior commitments. But the president will be flanked tomorrow night by Acting Defense Secretary Mark Esper and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Marine General James Dunford, before delivering what will be unprecedented in the modern era for an Independence Day celebration, a presidential address on the National Mall, prompting concerns inside the Pentagon. What should top military officials do if President Trump, during his speech, starts serving up a... Fourth of July-sized helping of partisan red meat. The Trump administration refuses to say, in addition, how much the event will cost. But the president did tweet today, quote, The cost of our great salute to America tomorrow will be very little compared to what it's worth. We own the planes. We have the pilots. The airport is right next door, Andrews. All we need is the fuel. As CNN's Pamela Brown reports, however, that claim is a bit misleading, to say the least. Those armored vehicles have started arriving at the National Mall. Moved in overnight through Washington, D.C., carefully so as not to damage local roads and bridges for the president's so-called salute to America, hyping it up as the show of a lifetime. Some incredible equipment, military equipment on display. Acting Defense Secretary Mark Esper and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Joseph Dunford are among the military officials who will attend. But CNN has learned that some military chiefs have expressed reservations about politicizing the July 4th celebration, concerned about the tanks and armored vehicles on display. And while the overall cost of the event has not been released, today the president defended the plans, tweeting... The cost of our great salute to America tomorrow will be very little compared to what it is worth. We own the planes. We have the pilots. The airport is right next door. All we need is the fuel. We own the tanks and all. But that tweet is misleading, as many of the aircraft involved in the ceremony will be flying in from around the country. F-35 fighter jets from California. A B-2 stealth bomber from Missouri. Apache helicopters from Kentucky. And the Blue Angels from Florida all burning costly fuel to get to Washington. We're going to have planes going overhead, the best 
fighter jets in the world and other planes too. And the president's checklist ignores additional costs and security, personnel and infrastructure. For example, the see-through bulletproof barrier needed for the president's speech at the Lincoln Memorial, $24,000. And that's not all. The Washington Post reporting the National Park Service will divert nearly 2.5 million extra from fees paid by visitors and intended to improve parks across the country for the president's event. Compared to the usual cost of about $2 million for the entire 4th of July celebration on the mall. And the president caused some confusion today when he claimed his administration has not dropped the fight to include a citizenship question on the U.S. Census. He said the news reports about it were fake. But, Jake, just yesterday, Trump's own Justice Department and Commerce Secretary said the administration had abandoned plans to include the controversial question and was moving forward with printing the questionnaire without it. An official says, though, that there are ongoing discussions in the White House about a path forward to include the question. What that path forward may be, very unclear, Jake. All right, Pamela Brown, thanks so much. Well, let's chat about all of this. Alice Stewart, let me start with you. Are you concerned about any of this? The, the, you've, you've been in the city for a while. The, the 4th of July celebration is usually not only nonpartisan, it's usually completely apolitical. Right, and it is a great event. I've been to it before. I don't really uh, love the traffic. Look, I do have a problem with the president making it seem like this is the 4th of Trump celebration. It is not. It's the 4th of July celebration. But at the same time, I think it's great if he wants to liven it up, if he wants to make it a salute to our current military who are serving and fighting for our freedoms that this day is about, I think that's great. If he wants to give a speech that says, God bless America on our Independence Day, more power to him. There is so much criticism, though, that he's going to be making a political speech as opposed to a patriotic speech. Let's wait and see what he does. It wasn't long ago where he gave a speech in Normandy that was very presidential, very stoic. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. That will be what tomorrow will be like. If not, we'll come back on Friday and we can talk about it. <laughs> you know who's not, you're not giving them the benefit of the doubt is the liberal group Vote Vets. They are distributing 6,000 of these USS John McCain shirts um, in, a, in an effort to, I think, trigger President Trump, upset him, uh, given the fact hard. that uh, the, the president is not a particular fan of uh, the, the late senator. Yeah. No, I mean, look, here, here's the problem that I have with it. If we had any evidence to suggest that we could trust President Trump, then I, then I would be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But just the way that he's talked about this, the way, I mean, the lies in terms of how much, or the misinformation, shall I say, about how much it's going to cost, particularly if you think about the fights that we've been having about needing more money to take care of the crisis at the border, you know, he can, you can find the money if it's a priority. And I also think the administration is not thinking about, just think about the juxtaposition of those images of those children in cages. And here is Donald Trump, and there are these, you know, uh, Fly, you know, things flying overhead and the tanks. I just, is that really the message we want to send about America? I think there's a much better way to honor our troops. And, and Sungman, there's a piece that just went up in the Washington Post by Greg Jaffe, your colleague, um, noting that there's a real debate going on right now. Uh, what if these generals are standing there with the president and all of a sudden he starts serving up red meat? He starts attacking his enemies, political enemies. He starts bad-mouthing the press. What do you do if you're a general and you're sitting up there and you're seen as endorsing this? And that is going to put the, the members of the military in a very difficult position because even at official events, a lot of times the president has this campaign rally feel at these, again, these official events. You know, I was just in uh, Japan and South Korea where the last, uh, the last event that the president had before we um, left again for Washington was an event speaking to the soldiers at Osan Air Base in Seoul. But when we got there, it did have this very 
very campaign rally feeling, and I think that's going to be a very difficult position for members of the military. We saw how difficult it was for the, for the military and also for then-acting uh, Secretary Patrick Shanahan when the issue with the USS McCain came up. So that's, again, something that we're going to have to watch. And it'll be such a fascinating contrast tomorrow with all of the Democrats out on the trail at doing the usual Fourth of July thing, which we have all done, uh, you know, running behind the candidate along a parade route where it's all about, you know, interacting at a one on one level with Americans. Um, and I think that it's problematic for Trump in the sense that, you know, these are the, the optics, especially with, you know, we're going to have a protest floats flying overhead, the baby Trump float. Um, these are the kinds of optics that remind people of what they don't like about him, uh, that that need for sort of self-glorification and to look like a big world power when everyone knows that we are a huge world power. So I think it'll it'll be an interesting thing to contrast to watch. Well, I mean, but your, your point, Alice, that we don't know. He might actually be very restrained. He might actually be very modest. It might be a lovely celebration and not my country tis of me. True. And that would be that would be reason for celebration right there, if that's the way it is. I'm going to be optimistic. He has wanted to have a similar type of event and a salute to our military for quite some time. It just hasn't worked out in terms of the proper venue, the proper time. I think this is a wonderful time to do it. I think especially with the Democrats out there, they will be getting a lot of tension uh, on the campaign trail at these Fourth of July festivities, and I think that's great. But this is something the president has wanted to do. He is the president of the United States. He can do this. And, and instead of everyone getting so angry about he's, he's hijacking this event, let's all take this as an opportunity to celebrate our patriots. Let me just make one prediction that there will be days and days of conversation about how many people attended the oh, event, right? You know, terrible. given what we went through around the inauguration, <laughs> we will be fighting for days about what, this, you know, what the Park Service says was really there, how many he says were really there. It's always about size with him, right? That it's got to be this big event, this bold event, when actually, if you wanted to seem presidential, he could just quiet, that's what President Clinton used to do, just go quietly visit the troops and shake some hands and thank people. Well, that's All such right. an interesting yeah. point because May mentioned the point of optics. I mean, a lot of people obviously come into town in D.C. for the 4th of July, but this is still a very Democratic area. There are a lot of people in this yeah. in the suburbs of Virginia and Maryland and in D.C. proper who do not support him, who did not vote for him. So does it, even the optics alone, uh, have a backlash on the president? We'll see. People come from all over, though, sure. for the 4th of July. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about a lot of questions for Joe Biden's campaign after he was outraised by outraised by an unlikely presidential candidate, plus backlash for a judge after saying a teenage boy accused of raping an intoxicated teen girl, then bragging about it, cannot be charged as an adult because he, quote, comes from a good family. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, you're looking right now at live pictures of three Democratic presidential hopefuls campaigning in Iowa right now. Ahead of the 4th of July holiday, from left to right, it was Kamala Harris and Beto O'Rourke and Bernie Sanders. This is just hours after former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign announced its second quarter haul, $21.5 million. That's more than Senator Bernie Sanders garnered, but less than South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg did. All three candidates combined, of course, fall short of the $105 million raised by President Trump and the Republican National Committee in that same time period. CNN's Arlette Signs now reports from the campaign trail. 
Joe Biden may be the Democratic frontrunner, but he's not leading the pack in the money race. The former vice president's second quarter fundraising haul totaling $21.5 million. That amount puts him behind South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg at $24.8 million, but ahead of Bernie Sanders, who raked in $18 million last quarter. Biden entered the 2020 race three weeks into the second fundraising quarter, but he did devote a substantial amount of time to raising cash, holding more than two dozen high-dollar fundraising events since launching his campaign, earning criticism from grassroots-focused candidates such as Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Well, in this unprecedented campaign, we're doing it very differently. Biden's numbers come as many 2020 candidates descend on Iowa this week, exactly seven months before the state's caucuses. 99 counties, here I come. A poll yesterday found Biden still ahead in the Hawkeye state with 24 percent support, followed by Kamala Harris at 16 percent. It is my full intention to work very hard to earn the support of the people of Iowa. Rounding out the top four, Elizabeth Warren at 13 percent and Sanders with 9 percent. But Biden's lead on the national stage has tightened in some polls since his uneven debate performance. Anyway, my time's up. As he looks to reassure voters he has the best chance of beating President Trump, Biden now turning to a new phase in his campaign, visiting early states like Iowa and South Carolina in the next five days, and sitting for a rare national TV interview with CNN this week. The marathon's just beginning. But at the end of the day, if you can't cross the line in Iowa, you don't win the marathon. Now, Jake, a source tells us that the Biden campaign did hit their fundraising goal, but they just weren't prepared for what Mayor Pete Buttigieg was going to post last quarter. They had built their targets, estimating that the candidates would be bringing in no more than 10 to 12 million dollars in one quarter. Now, one big question for Biden going forward is, can he sustain this momentum and continue to raise big campaign cash, especially right now as he's seeing that drop in the polls? Jake. All right. Arlette signs uh, in Iowa covering the Biden race and so many others. Let's talk about this. Money doesn't mean everything, Sungman, of course. Uh, Jeb Bush and Rudy Giuliani showed that. Um, and yet the fact that Pete Buttigieg outraised Joe Biden, even though Joe, Joe Biden was in the race three weeks after the quarter began, it does seem to suggest some weakness on the Biden campaign's part. A little bit. And a lot of and you have to remember, a lot of uh, the former vice president's time is spent doing a lot of these fundraisers. So you would think that he would have a little bit of a leg up in terms of the money he is uh, he was able to raise. And look, the vice president got in April 25th. So it was a little later uh, than the beginning of the second quarter. But you are a former vice president of the United States being outraised by a small city mayor. I think that's a little bit dif- that might be a little bit difficult for the Biden campaign to stomach right now. Yeah, I mean, and even if he's been in the race three weeks less than Buttigieg, he's been in politics. He was in, in, in the politics longer than Pete Buttigieg has been alive. Yeah, and I, think, I mean, I think it's just yet another sign that if they want him to be, if he wants to be the nominee, he's got to get a lot more aggressive, not just events, but in reaching out to those small dollar donors uh, and really hustling, which is what Buttigieg was doing uh, with fundraisers all over the country. Uh, particularly uh, out in Hollywood, where he is a huge favorite out in California. Um, and I think that the fact that um, that the Biden campaign did come in with a lower number is just one more thing that, that, that just suggests that he needs a real jolt. And maybe the debate plus the fundraising numbers will provide that. Wait, before you guys weigh in, we have some breaking news uh, from the campaign trail. I want to get you two to respond. 
Here's Senator Kamala Harris with some very strongly worded comments about President Trump. Take a listen. I know predators, and we have a predator living in the White House. Calling the president a predator, this is somebody who is obviously as a former prosecutor and attorney general in California, San Francisco, prosecuted predators. Uh, Too strong, do you think? Not at all. I mean, remember that we in 2016, there was the Access Hollywood tape, a lot of and there were all the um, allegations against uh, the president from various women uh, about various incidents. And we have just a new one with, from uh, E. Jean Carroll. Is that I say last time? Right. Uh, so it, it's not I mean, there is An alleged a, rape, a, alleged rape. Yeah. Uh, so there have been allegations over time. Uh, they have not gone away. And again, that more seem to come out. Uh, and I think we've established that this president is not someone who is particularly pro-woman. That is certainly our feeling from the Democratic side. And I think she probably felt like you got to get in there and be strong about it because that is what people are feeling. And whereas before they might have been willing to, you know, kind of put that aside and go hold their nose and vote for Trump or they didn't like Hillary and they voted for Trump. Now we know more, not just about him and women, but we know more about his policies. Alice? Clearly, she is trying to make headlines, and she absolutely positively will by this. I think the, the wording is, is a little bit much. I find a lot of the behavior that he did years ago extremely disturbing. I found the Access Hollywood tape very disgusting. I had a real problem with that. A lot of social evangelicals had a real problem with that. But at the same time, we knew that this was part of his past. This was something that he did many years ago. And as many have said, we'll give him a mulligan on that as long as it does not continue to happen. And to our knowledge, it has not continued to happen. And the the most important point is for social evangelicals who have a real problem at that kind of behavior. He has followed through on the policies that we we support him on, which is Supreme Court life and religious liberties. His personal behavior, yes, it has been disturbing, but his policies are the reason a lot of people stand behind. But Maeve, you 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 cover Senator Kamala Harris out of uh, out of, uh, of the LA bureau. Um, are you surprised that she called the president a predator? N- not at all, because I mean, what she's trying to do here is what she hasn't been able to do, which is to sustain the momentum after the debate. She's got to show now that if she's going to make the case that she's she's the right person to prosecute the case against. Donald Trump. She's got to keep that energy up. She's connecting with the core of, of who her base is going to be, which are, are women and particularly African-American women. And all of those women who turned out in the 2018 uh, elect, midterm elections, not just because of Trump's past, because they really don't like the way the language that he uses to talk about women. And with the E. Jean Carroll uh, allegation, for example, you know, to say she's not my type, that's the kind of thing that just sets women's teeth on edge. And for Kamala to get to where she needs to, to be, I think she's going to have to be this aggressive. So a good tactic in the Democratic primaries, I could see. But uh, it could be argued, and it has been by some conservatives, that that even the Carroll story doesn't add anything new to what we already knew or had been told by several women, dozens of women, uh, about the president. And so if she got the nomination, would you expect her to continue to call the president a predator? I would expect that at this point. But again, like you're completely right that these stories just haven't stuck. There are there have been more than a dozen accusations uh, from these women against the president. And that has that has not changed um, his 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 view by the public, you know, in any discernible fashion. I mean, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, Ms. Carroll's story, but with kind of the environment that we're in, with the news cycle that we're in, it would not sustain as long as you would think of an accusation against the president of the United States. His his approval rating actually has stayed steady since 
uh, her story uh, came out. Everyone stick around. We have more to talk about. You don't want to miss, by the way, the CNN exclusive with Democratic presidential candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden. You can see his sit-down interview with my colleague Chris Cuomo this Friday at 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. Eastern, only on CNN. Coming up, he's a veteran who served in Afghanistan, and he has out-fundraised current 2020 frontrunner Biden. Mayor Pete Buttigieg will join me live next. Stay with us. Welcome back. Sticking with our top story, President Trump's planned military showcase to honor July 4th, which some critics say he is politicizing the military. The tanks and other vehicles which will be on display have arrived on the National Mall for tomorrow night's event, where the president will break with decades of tradition and address the nation directly. Joining me now on the phone is 2020 Democratic presidential candidate and South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thanks for joining us. You served in the armed forces, specifically in Afghanistan. What is your reaction to the planned display uh, of military might and more uh, tomorrow? Well, I think it makes America look smaller. You know, one of the reasons I joined the military was that in a small way, I wanted to be part of seeing to it that my country was not the kind of place where uh, a leader feels the need to boost his own ego by rolling tanks down the streets of our capital. Uh, We've always been bigger than that. We've also been the kind of country that uh, traditionally respects our military enough not to uh, use them as props. Uh, You know, more and more, you're seeing evidence that this president seems to think of the military as sort of uh, ornaments for his ego or for his agenda. You saw it when uh, troops were pointlessly diverted to the border. You saw it uh, in what happened around the USS John McCain, and now I think you're, you're seeing it here at a uh, tremendous cost to the taxpayer. Fourth of July is supposed to be our country, not about any one person, not about politics, uh, definitely not about the ego of the president. After all, the people who got our country started in the revolution were skeptical of a presidency getting too much uh, to look like a, uh, like a sort of imperial or royal mm-hmm. office. And I'm afraid that's the direction this president is taking it in. What do you, what do you say to, to those who say, hey, the president's just trying to honor current service members? What's, what's the matter with that? I think the president's trying to honor himself. And uh, again, my worry is that it ultimately makes us look smaller. Think about this. Think about the strongest, toughest person that you know. Uh, it's probably not somebody who goes around talking about how strong and tough he or she is. And uh, I think it's the same with countries. Uh, You know, we've been the strongest country in the world, and we've not been the kind of country that feels the need to roll tanks down the streets of our capital. I think those things go together, and this feels like a step backward for uh, this great country we live in. Um, I guess another question I might have is uh, I know that there is concern inside uh, the the Pentagon about what happens if uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and others are on stage with President Trump, he, and he starts speaking and he starts saying things that are quite partisan against Democrats, uh, talking about the border. What do you think they should do in such a situation? Should they quietly walk off the stage? Well, I, I wouldn't uh, advise the, uh, uh, the generals and chiefs on what to do. They'll have to follow their conscience. But it's certainly putting them in an awkward situation, and I wouldn't put it past them. But remember, Early in his presidency, he stood in front of the wall at the CIA with stars representing people who had given their lives in the intelligence services and gave an extremely partisan political speech. He did it with the Boy Scouts. He is uh, not above uh, being partisan at moments that call for national unity. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of civilian control uh, of the military is uh, that there's going to be some level of of separation uh, and trying to enlist people in uniform to 
decorate his political agenda just diminishes uh, the military that, uh, that so many serve in without regard to politics or favor. I want to ask you about a couple other items in the news, if that's okay. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of attention at the conditions uh, for migrants, specifically migrant children, but others as well. Uh, at the border, uh, President Trump uh, just a few minutes ago tweeted, quote, our border patrol people are not hospital workers, doctors or nurses. The Democrats' bad immigration laws, which could be easily fixed, are the problem. Great job by Border Patrol above and beyond. Many of these illegal aliens are living far better now than where they came from and in far safer conditions, unquote. It goes on from there. But I was wondering about your, your reaction to that. Uh, again, this makes America look uh, and act in a way that is so far beneath what you would expect uh, from a country that, that ought to be the greatest in the world. We should be able to handle uh, arrivals from people who are fleeing death and violence. Uh, there's no excuse for us to be keeping people in subhuman conditions. And by the way, uh, people who aren't uh, uh, accused of a crime, people who in many cases have been fleeing for their lives, may have been uh, seeking a lawful channel to apply for asylum. And, uh, you know, this uh, uh, crisis is uh, really creating the humanitarian conditions that, that do force uh, men and women in our Border Patrol services to be uh, dealing with, with medical issues and, and emergency issues that could be avoided if it weren't for the inhumane policies that, uh, uh, that, that created this uh, crisis in the first place. Remember, this president got elected promising uh, that uh, he would resolve immigration issues in the country. Instead, they have exploded into a horrific humanitarian crisis, largely as a direct consequence of the choices that he's made. You said that we ought to be the greatest nation in the world. Do you not think the United States is the greatest nation in the world? I believe we are, but we've got to do more to live up to that, uh, because we are not uh, acting in a way that's consistent with our leadership role. I mean, people for uh, around the world, uh, and for longer than I've been alive, have looked to us to uh, truly lead the world. But the, the reality is you can either resent the rest of the world or you can lead it. You cannot do both. And when you see uh, how isolated America was at the G20, almost like people were embarrassed to be speaking to us, when you see what's happening on our borders, where we act in a way that is not consistent with a great nation, and when you see this kind of tin-pot behavior in the nation's capital on our nation's birthday, uh, the ult ultimate effect of all of that is an America diminished. I want to ask you about your impressive uh, second quarter fundraising haul. You raised nearly $25 million uh, in the second quarter, surpassing Vice President Biden, who has been in politics longer than you've been alive. Um, but at the same time, the latest CNN poll shows uh, that after the first debate, uh, you're still at about 4 or 5%. You were at 4% last time, 5% 5, uh, 5 last time, 4% now. Um, and it's, it's pretty much the same number. But I guess that it does prompt a question from a smart colleague of mine, which is, if you have raised so much money, but your support is still relatively shallow, you're still in the top five, but relatively shallow, does that mean that you are the candidate of the elite? Are you getting a lot of money from a lot of rich people, but not uh, broadening your appeal? No, one of the things we're proud of is uh, not just the fact that uh, we have uh, uh, been able to gather resources and uh, uh, at least so far leading the field in that this quarter, but that we've done it at every level and that grassroots fundraising has been a big part of that. Now, what we know is uh, for all of the success that we've had early on, there's still a great many Americans who uh, haven't heard of us or don't know much about 
me and my campaign. So what it tells you, we've got uh, a lot of upside out there, but we've got to go introduce ourselves. The great news about this uh, fundraising total is it means we're going to have the resources to do it, to hire the organizers on the ground in the early states and to get our message out. Uh, there's going to be a lot of noise in the polls over the next few months, but uh, we're primarily concerned with the things that are under our control. And uh, the biggest of that is how we use these resources in order to uh, fortify our base and get known better and better. Uh, but uh, uh, if uh, my experience is anything to go by, then uh, each passing day we get more chances to uh, introduce people, spread our message, and uh, we'll see our support build and build all the way to next year when the voting begins. All right, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, congratulations on the fundraising hall. Have fun out there on the campaign trail. Thanks for your time. Good to be with you. Thanks very much. These are the images just released by the government's own watchdog to sound the alarm about overcrowding in border detention facilities. Now President Trump says the migrants should just not come to the U.S. if they don't like the conditions. Stay with us. Breaking news in our world. Just minutes ago, President Trump tweeted a new threat to Iran, saying, quote, Iran has just issued a new warning. Rouhani says they will enrich uranium to any amount we want if there is no new nuclear deal. Be careful with the threats, Iran. They can come back to bite you like nobody has been bitten before, unquote. President Trump responding to Iran's president, Rouhani, who said, in a matter of days, his country will increase its uranium enrichment if it doesn't get some relief from Europe to help mitigate the U.S. sanctions. I want to bring in CNN's Barbara Bassar at the Pentagon. Barbara, give us some perspective here. By U.S. intelligence estimates, how quickly could Iran make a nuclear bomb if it follows through on this threat? Well, they're going to have to recalculate all of this now, depending on what they believe Iran might be doing in the days and weeks ahead. By all indications, Iran not yet talking about increasing enrichment to weapons-grade levels, but still, whatever they do plan to do, it does add to their stockpile, adds to their capabilities. And that means the intelligence community has to figure out, are we still potentially months away or less from Iran having the potential capability to have a nuclear weapon? Now, as for the president's tweet warning them, one of the things behind the scenes is the U.S. intelligence community, senior U.S. military commanders have warned the White House repeatedly, we are told, that a military option to stop Iran's nuclear program is very difficult, that if you want to go down that road, there could be catastrophic consequences, and that you take yourself right into the theater, if you will, of regime change, that the Iranian government would never agree to give up its nuclear weapons to the satisfaction of the U.S., and if you're going to start a military campaign to get rid of them, it's going to lead to regime change, which the U.S. military would remind everybody has not been a successful strategy in many respects over the years. Barbara, if Iran follows through on this threat, one assumes that would complicate any chances of a new deal. It would, Jake, by all accounts. Uh, you know, Iran very much trying to play the Europeans off against the U.S. right now. They they want the Europeans uh, to stick with them, if you will. Uh, not clear uh, if the president plans to quickly move with his strategy right now, which is maximum pressure, putting even more sanctions on. And behind the scenes, the U.S. getting very irritated at China because they believe the Chinese are violating the sanctions because of their need for Iranian energy supplies. So China, the Europeans, all wild cards in any calculation by President Trump. Jake? Barbara Starr at the Pentagon. Thank you so much. Coming up, President Trump's new message for migrants. If you don't like the conditions in the detention centers, stop coming to America. Stay with us. The national lead now. Today, the acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security ordered an immediate investigation into what he called disturbing and inexcusable social media activity, allegedly 
made by active Border Patrol agents. The investigation comes after a ProPublica report into a secret Facebook group comprised of current and former agents. Members reportedly joked about migrant deaths and made lewd and racist comments about Latina members of Congress. CNN's Nick Valencia spoke to one Border Patrol agent who said the culture and the offensive postings is widespread among too many of his colleagues. There were a lot of negative comments back and forth, agents pickering at each other. A veteran Border Patrol agent now speaking exclusively to CNN about the newly exposed secret Customs and Border Patrol Facebook group calling itself I'm 1015, where current and former Border Patrol agents reportedly made jokes about dead migrants, derogatory comments about Latina lawmakers, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and posted offensive memes. ProPublica, the nonprofit news organization that exposed this Facebook group, says posts featured shocking comments about a dead Guatemalan teenager in Westlaco, Texas, like, oh well, and if he dies, he dies. In a tweet today, Acting Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan says he's ordering an immediate investigation into the offensive posts. It comes one day after a DHS Inspector General report quoted DHS and Border Patrol officials describing an acute and worsening crisis and calling the situation at the border a ticking time bomb. From adults who had not had a shower for as long as a month and were given wet wipes to maintain personal hygiene to kids younger than seven being held in custody for more than two weeks, much longer than the allowed 72 hours. What is basic human rights? Uh, toilet paper, uh, water from the sink, um, wearing the same clothing for days. We used to have these blankets. And 10 different aliens will use the same blanket. We will recycle them. You know, we'll put them in a, in a bag and they wouldn't get washed. Dr. Sarah Goza, the president-elect of the American Academy of Pediatrics, toured two of these facilities last week, describing the horror she witnessed firsthand. When they opened the door, the first thing that we, that we, that hit us was a smell, and it was a smell of sweat, urine, and feces. And there were young children, uh, boys in there, unaccompanied boys in there, and they had no expressions on their faces. There was no laughing, no joking, no talking. I describe them almost like dog cages um, with people in each of them. And the silence were just hard to watch, hard to see. She isn't alone in her depiction of what she saw. We're now getting a look at three brand new pictures from inside a similar facility in McAllen, Texas. But these were drawn by migrant children, 10 and 11 years old, all held there. All three pictures drawn in marker with stark similarities people behind bars held in cages. These are very serious allegations that the veteran El Paso Border Patrol agent made, allegations that we took to Customs and Border Protection. And while they not, uh, did not directly respond to these allegations, they did say that they are taking them seriously and have handed them over to the Office of the Inspector General. Jake. And Nick, the veteran Border Patrol agent with whom you spoke, why didn't that person come forward earlier? That's a great question, one that we posed during the interview. And according to this agent, they did file formal complaints, but they say misconduct investigations typically don't go anywhere, especially if those that are accused of misconduct are good and, and in with leadership. Uh, they have filed formal complaints over the years. They say they're coming forward now because they're also close to retirement, but really because they're tired of seeing the horrid conditions inside these facilities. Jake. All right, Nick Valencia, thank you so much. Outrage today over a 16-year-old boy accused of raping a drunk girl, filming it, bragging about it, and then given some leniency by a judge because he comes from a, quote, good family. That's next. 
Also in our national lead, growing outrage after a New Jersey judge said a teenage boy accused of rape deserved some leniency because the boy is, quote, from a good family. The judge saying that if the young man is tried as an adult, it could ruin his life. The then 16-year-old allegedly recorded himself raping a drunk teenage girl at a party. He then shared the video with his friends with the accompanying text, quote, when your first time having sex was rape, unquote. CNN's Athena Jones digs into the disturbing allegations. A New Jersey family court judge is under fire after ruling a 16-year-old boy accused of raping an intoxicated 16-year-old girl should not be tried as an adult, in part because he comes from a good family. The decision by Judge James Triano was reversed last month, allowing prosecutors to pursue an indictment in adult court. The judge completely disregarded the law. Let's be clear here. What the judge was trying to determine had nothing to do with whether someone's background was privileged, whether someone's background wasn't. It was a simple legal question. The case stems from a 2017 incident where the alleged attacker, identified in court papers as GMC, and the alleged victim, identified as Mary, were both intoxicated. According to court documents, GMC filmed himself penetrating Mary from behind on his cell phone, displaying her bare torso and her head hanging down. He forwarded the video clip to several friends and later sent a text saying, when your first time having sex was rape. The prosecutor argued GMC had sex with Mary while she was physically helpless and unable to provide consent and that GMC's behavior was calculated and cruel. In denying the prosecutor's request to move the case to adult court, Judge Triano argued the incident wasn't a traditional case of rape because it did not involve two or more attackers or a weapon. He said GMC's text was just a 16-year-old kid saying stupid crap to his friends. Triano also dismissed Mary's level of intoxication and noted the boy was an Eagle Scout, saying... This young man comes from a good family who put him into an excellent school where he was doing extremely well. He is clearly a candidate for not just college, but probably for a good college. Now, Judge Triano would not comment on this case, and CNN was not able to reach the attorney for the alleged victim. Meanwhile, the Monmouth County prosecutor said in a statement, While we have the utmost respect for the family court and the judge in this case, we are grateful that the appellate division agreed with our assessment that this case met the legal standards for waiver to superior court. As with all cases, we are assessing our next steps, which will include discussions with the victim and her family. Jake? He comes from a good family. What about her? What about her family? Athena Jones, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.